when you can tap into the part of you that just wants to create and express, you're tapping into an innocence and a purity of joy for life that will translate into the other areas of your life that when you have that, make you want to do it in excellence, make you want to do, do it to the best of your ability because you actually are enjoying it. That's the piece that I think is missing for so many people because they get wrapped up in the idea of doing something to achieve something. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into the show. And we have a great episode today with the one and only Adam Roa. Adam is a transformational artist and international speaker committed to showing the world what it looks like to choose love over fear in every moment. His viral poem, You Are Who You've Been Looking For, has been viewed over 200 million times. Yes, over 200 million times, one of the most viral pieces of content on the internet. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. Combining years of experience as a personal development coach and over a decade of experience as a filmmaker and performer, Adam blends the two worlds in a way that encourages others to see life as art. His Deep Dive podcast, which is literally called The Deep Dive, brings a practical approach to spirituality. Adam is listed by Goldcast as one of the top 33 game changers to watch. There is so much more I can say about Adam, but without further ado, let's dive into today's conversation, which to me encompasses the theme of giving yourself permission to do and be what you truly desire. Adam Roa, what an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I've been following your journey for about six years now, and so it's been Really interesting to witness your evolution just in that time period. And my first question for you is, you're a seeker, you're a deep diver, you question the why and things. Have you always been this way? And when did you realize this about yourself? Yeah, well, Jake, the snake, thank you for having me on here, bro. I uh, appreciate it. And thank you for following for as long as you have, man, because um that means you were following long before anyone knew who the hell I was or, you know, before the poem went viral, before any of this stuff, before I ever had my own podcast or any of it. So um, I really do value that and appreciate it. And the answer to your question is, yeah, I've always been a seeker. Um, I think that uh, to some degree, there was a shadow aspect of I just didn't like being told what to do. And I didn't like being told um, what to to how to behave or what to think. I, I always had a problem with authority. And so there was some aspect of, um, I'm not just going to just accept what everyone tells me. And then, um, there was another aspect of, of that too, that, you know, I, I've always been a, a kind of highly intellectual human and, uh, I was, but also a very late bloomer physically. And so I had adults that would treat me like a child when I was, you know, 13 years old and go, wait, I'm smart. I feel I'm smarter than you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care that you're an adult. I think I'm smarter than you. So don't treat me like a child. And so I just, I've had this chip on my shoulder that, uh, you know, from our, from our 
our greatest shadows are also our greatest gifts. And so I think that there was this need to prove, this need to be different, this need to be seen. And a, a lot of times that meant I'm not going to just accept what I'm told. I'm going to find my own way. And that led to the seeking um, and uh, the questioning and, and through several different kind of awakening sort of experiences, questioning everything that I thought I knew and getting to the point now where I, I feel as if I've had so many experiences of from basically one month to the next feeling as if everything I thought I knew about myself in the world is just changed that mm -hmm. I now no longer really hold on to the idea that my seeking is to find some empirical truth. Seeking now has become more of a way to just further the, the evolution in the direction I want to go. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because like I mentioned, I was started following you. You were in a relationship with a woman for, I believe nine years. Is that correct? Nine and a half, almost made the decade. Nine and a half years. You know, we're also experiencing COVID, but it's also like from, and we uh, will dive into this in a minute. But when I first started following it, it seemed like you were coaching was like your main jam, um, at least from an outside perspective. And it's been fascinating as you've stepped into a much more of a creative, um, musical and poetic part of yourself, at least that's being shown to the world. So before we dive into that, can you give some context of like, I feel like there's like pre-viral Adam and like post-viral Adam to a degree. So uh, pre-viral Adam, like where were you at in your life? Um, yeah, like what, what did your career and relationship look like? Yeah, I mean, that that's a very, it's so funny. I want to address what you said about the pre-viral, post-viral. And um, for the people who don't know, I have one of, the, they wrote about it, I think in, in Business Insider. It, I have one of the top three most viral videos ever on, viral motivational videos ever on Facebook. And um, it's been viewed 200 million times. It's a poem about self-love. And so once that went viral, I'm now known as a poet. You know, I'm a, I'm a performer. And what a lot of people don't know, because you say pre-viral, post-viral, is um, I'd been, at that time when that poem went viral, I was one, at the time making a producing directing of a, a, a reality show called the art of choosing love that I was putting out on YouTube about my life having just gotten through, gone through a breakup after 10 years with someone. And so I was filmmaking. I had already toured my spoken word poetry internationally on multiple occasions. So I had already been this. And what a lot of people don't know is I had moved out to LA after I graduated college to pursue acting. I trained as an actor for over a decade. As a performer, I've written multiple feature length scripts and TV pilots and uh, studied storytelling and performance for a long time. So the artist in me has always been present um, for, I would say from, when I graduated college and made the commitment, I'm going to go pursue acting that then that mm. was me saying, I want to pursue my heart and I'm going to be an artist. I didn't consider myself an artist at the time. I considered myself just an actor, but um, that's, that's the, when I said creativity is important to me. And what happened was 
in that career as, as an actor, it just slowly beat me down and, and just sucked out so much of my self-esteem and, and had me question whether I, I was even attractive or talented or capable and all of this stuff. And anyway, in the long story short, the, the breakdown of that led me to a spiritual awakening. And that spiritual awakening led me to start wondering, well, what, what am I here to do? Really? What do I want to do? And I just started sharing back before Facebook live, when you had to record your videos and then upload them, I would, with my partner, we both were just, we would record each other talking about something like the law of attraction and what we were learning or about our relationship and how we navigated things. And when we first learned about the five love languages and we just like started sharing and, and uploading in the Facebook and that led to people reaching out to me and saying, you know, what are you doing? How did you, you your life, we'd give, we'd started traveling the world. I'd given up my personal training business. Um, but I'd also always been a coach. You know, when I was younger, I used to, um, I, I taught swim lessons and then I coached wrestling um, at the junior high school I used to go to. And then I um, was a personal trainer as, a, as like a coach physically. And so it really was this merging of these two worlds. But the thing was that coaching was, was something that took off so rapidly for me because at the age of 18, I hit a mountaintop goal where I won homecoming king. <laughs> and as the son of an immigrant who entered high school at 73 pounds and five feet tall, <laughs> I felt like I had won high school because I now was sitting there. I had a scholarship to college. I was a varsity in multiple sports. I had, I'd, I was, um, you know, graduating with honors. I was the president of a, a club. I was in student body council and, and like all of these things. And then I went homecoming King and nothing shifted. I went, I'm still that insecure, scared, kid. I have all this anger. I don't know what to do. No one's hot mom is wanting to sleep with me. Like all the movies said would happen when you, you're like the prom king or whatever. And so I went something that I'm being told is a lie. Something about if you achieve all this stuff, you're going to be happy. Something's mm -hmm. wrong. And that's where I first started questioning. But as a coach, we can only coach from where we've been. And so what happened was the clients that I started attracting at the very beginning of my career as a coach were people who had to hit a mountaintop of success for themselves, but realized that it was empty and they wanted something more. And so that generally happens for people in their like forties, it's the midlife crisis. And so mm -hmm. I had these people who were millionaires who were making really good money, who saw something in me of a recognition that I, I had been also to my own version of a mountaintop and then had found my way to live life differently. And so when the coaching business took off, I went, oh, this is so many of my skills. Put a camera on me. Let me talk about things. I've always wanted to help. The reason I became an actor was because acting saved my life emotionally. It connected me to my emotions. I was so disconnected. And so I wanted to use acting to help people feel. And here I was as a coach, literally getting on one-on-one -on -one calls with people and helping them tune into their emotions. I was like, this is what I've always wanted to do anyway. Mm -hmm. And I decided 
at a certain point, cause I was making, you know, I had an ocean view home. I was making six figures. Um, at a certain point I got paid seven figures for my coaching. All of these things happened. And I went, but how do I really shift the planet? And mm. I feel like what, what point would go ahead. What point did that question, like what point did that question start hitting you? And there's so many things I could say, but I'm just curious from that. Like what element of your journey did that question start arising? That element started arising when I finally had money. <laughs> That's the truth. So it's like you hit your own mountaintop in a certain proverbial I hit, way. I hit this a, thing. A mountaintop. Yeah, I hit this space where I went, I'm, I'm, I was always, so I was still making films. I was still making short films with my partner. We had a production company. We were, I don't know if you like ever saw like our mission statement piece that, that when we first moved to Encinitas was the thing that opened a bunch of doors for us because there were all these people in the community that were like, who are these people? And we were talented <laughs> film. We were talented filmmakers and we knew how to make compelling content. And so it was still a part of it. And once I realized I can make my money as a coach, once I knew that, I went, but is that what I want to do? Do I only want to do that? Do I want to become just another coach who's doing that thing and doing all of the things where you run the program and the webinar and enroll people into the high level mastermind and the thing? It's like algorithmic. Do I want to do that? Because I can't. I know that. I have a lot of value to provide. I'm charismatic. People like to listen to what I have to say. And is that the highest leverage use of my experience? Because there are other people already doing that. So mm. for me, I went, the way in which we shift this planet is through art. It's the highest leverage way because with art, you have a permission slip to make someone feel something. I don't care how shut down you are. You go into a movie because of how it's going to make you feel or how you think it's going to make you feel. You put on music because of how you feel when you listen to the music. I see you have a guitar in the background. That means you get that. You play music because of how it's going to make you feel, not what it's going to make you think. And so as a result of that, we have an access point into people's emotions, which is where true change happens. It happens at the emotional level. No one has a catharsis that's not accompanied by a massive release of stagnant emotion or a connection to an emotion they've never felt before of love and unity and a depth of that. And so art is the permission slip to shift someone's consciousness. And when I realized that, I just said, I want to start putting what I'm teaching in my, my high performance coaching and I want to put it into art. And that's where I started um, really shifting my perspective. And it's funny because the art is what blasted off. That's what went viral. It wasn't any of my videos talking about manifestation. It wasn't any of those things. It was the poem. Mm. What so many things come to mind. I think one of the things and why I feel drawn to you is uh, the way in which you express yourself is is also essential to the way that uh, for me, like life is expression. I'm ha I have to be creating like whether it's a podcast. Um, I ran a business helping people give TED talks and do speaking, writing um, like I identify with you so much as like I do that because it makes me feel alive. It's like I have to do that. But it's also interesting as you share all this to see the iterations and how it doesn't have to take a specific 
um, as long as you're getting to do that, whatever shape it takes, it's like a different part of you, like whether it's the podcast or your coaching or the music. Um, one concept you talk about, which really intrigued me, and maybe you can give the listeners some insight into this is like, let's say you're an artist or you want your art to get seen to the world and you're operating at like a level 93, but the frequency for which to to get to that next level is 107, for example. I don't know if you're understanding what I'm explaining, but the way I heard you explain it in a video, like how do you get to that next frequency in order for that next iteration of yourself at that next level can come through? Yeah, it's a great question. And so let me make sure that I'm, I'm understanding it fully. Um, what I believe is, every, I believe in infinite realities. I believe that there is um, a version of this reality in which I'm interviewing you and we're saying exactly the same thing. I'm, at, I'm, say, I'm saying all the words that you're saying. That reality exists. The reality exists where you and I have never met. There's a reality that exists when I'm a billionaire and I own Tesla. I mean, everything you can imagine, there's a reality of that that exists. It's just like radio stations or television channels. And so the question really is, if, if there's something that you want that you don't yet have, it means that it's on a channel that you're not on. It's a frequency mm. that you're not currently aligned with. It exists on 107, like you said, but I'm on 93. And so the process of, of manifesting is in aligning yourself and getting yourself on channel 107. And that shift is, a, a, is the process of what is called law of attraction and manifestation. That's, that sh that's what we're actually talking about is you, when you are 107, you're now attracting everything that's on that channel to you. When you're 93, mm. you're attracting everything that's on 93. And what is important for people to understand is that when it comes to manifestation, it's always working. And the universe, when you say, hey, I want to change the station to 107 from 93, the universe is going to do one of two things. Either you're a match to that and it's going to change the channel and you're now on 107. So that thing's going to arrive super rapidly or the other thing that happens is the universe goes, oh, you want to change the channel? Okay, first I need you to do this, 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 and this. And what that looks like is you are shown a bunch of things that, are, that need to be worked through and moved through in yourself in order to become a match. And that most often looks like things falling away and obstacles showing up in order for you to develop the skills that you need to become a match to it. Because it's not just about me saying, oh, I'm a match to it. If I want to live a life of, of a um, making music, for example, I've started to release music under uh, Roa uh, on Spotify, right? That's, that's my music. Uh, what, did, what did we call that? What's it called? Uh, moniker, just Roa. And I need to, I need to know how, song structure. I need to understand some idea of melody. I need to, like, these are skills that I need to be a match to that reality. And so therefore, what the universe is going to do is going to provide me with ways of falling flat on my face and go, oh man, I need to get better at this or bring people into my life that are able to help me and teach me and coach me or whatever it is. Whatever is going to happen, the universe is going to provide me the things that I just asked for in order to change the channel. But most people... They just simply go, okay, I want to change the channel. I'm going to meditate on it. And then when it doesn't happen, it's because they, they've ignored all the things the universe gave them as the opportunity to learn and develop into that person. Mm. Yeah. And what I like about how you explain that is essentially it's saying pay attention. Um, 
to the feedback. And if it's not what you want, that is feedback telling you, okay, we get to try something else in order to get to that higher channel. If you will. Someone, someone asked me a question. I don't know. I, it may have been on Clubhouse, but I don't think so. I think it was actually in my online community. For the people who don't know, I have an online personal development community, thecreatecommunity.com. Um, and I, I teach in there twice a month. And then there's a bunch of other um, facilitators that also teach in there. Every single week, we have three 90-minute masterclasses on all sorts of different things. And I, someone was asking me about this very thing. And they were asking me about um, manifestation and intuition. And, and, there's, and you were talking about pay attention. And what I said was, they said, how do you know what your unconscious mind is, is wanting or saying? Because I, I've been saying that when you mm. manifest, what you're, everything is being manifest to you. So therefore, if you're manifesting something that your conscious mind doesn't want, it's because your unconscious mind more strongly holds a frequency that wants that thing. Mm. And they said, well, how do I know what my unconscious mind wants? And I said, look at your life. It's that simple. Your life is the feedback loop. It's the mirror of what is actually inside of you. So mm -hmm. some of your life, you're looking at with your conscious mind and going, oh, like I want this, I want this, I want this, and, and I have that. But most people go and look at the rest of their life and go, I'm not manifesting that. I don't want that. I want to ma manifest something different instead of going, okay, I like this, I like this, I like this. And all of these other things that consciously I don't like means my unconscious wants it. Mm. My unconscious wants those things. Yeah. And man, that is, I mean, that's the ultimate juice and at least of the community and the people that I speak with, it's like, how do we bring light? How do we make the unconscious conscious? But to your point, it's like, look around us. It's, that is it. It is your life, your unconscious and yeah. your conscious mind together. The entire algorithm of it is being reflected to you in your reality. And so all that you get to do when people talk about coaching and they ask like, what, well, why would I hire a coach? Why would I pay for a coach? Why as someone who's literally been paid a million dollars for a one year coaching contract, why would someone pay me that money? It's simply because I have the ability to look at your reality and spot patterns that you can't see. And this is, this is for everyone. So if you're, if people are like, okay, well, I want to hire a coach. What you are looking for is someone who is able to see the patterns in your reality that you are not able to see. That's it. It's that simple because when they can see those and it can, it can be more complex where you might want a coach whose brain thinks similarly to yours so that they can explain it in a way that you can understand and get. But at the end of the day, you are, are, are hiring someone who can spot the patterns and communicate them to you so that you can spot them. And they've just taught you a new pattern recognition software that they've installed in your brain that allows you to see those patterns and more other patterns unlock in your life. And when you start to be able to recognize those patterns in your life, you now become the creator of how you want those to go. Mm. This brings to mind a video you recently created um, and I think you explain it so well. So there's this quote. I think it comes from the book or the movie, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Um, we accept the love we think we deserve. I want you to first just uh, give an explanation. Uh, like I'm going to let you just elaborate kind of whatever comes to you. But 
the question that I'm kind of asking is, okay, how do we, and it, this is essentially what you just shared, but like a, a concrete example, how do we like acknowledge that and shift it with that example? With what example specifically the quote? So, yeah. So first it may be just explaining, like, I think you talked about first, and this was actually, this tripped me out. You said the first step was you have to accept the fact that you don't feel worthy, which was eye-opening to me. Um, yeah, it's from the book Perks of Being a Wallflower. It's one of my favorite books. I've read it multiple times. And um, it we accept the love we think we deserve. And I, I find it so interesting because people get in these relationships or even they get out of relationships and they go, I don't know why I always attract this. I don't know why I always attract this. Or they're with a partner and they say, I wish my partner was more this. Or let's go with an extreme example because sometimes it's easier to, to see in, in very extreme examples of someone who's in, in a, like someone who's in an abusive relationship, physically, mentally, verbally, whatever it is. They believe they deserve that. And this is not victim shaming. This is not meant to be, this is not me condoning any sort of abuse in relationship. This is me simply saying that someone who it, in, in their absolute body goes, I deserve better is the moment they leave. Mm. Like it's a non-negotiable. In my experience, for example, like name calling, was something that it, my I was with a woman for 10 years and we got together when I was just turning 24 and she was 23. And so when we got into arguments, there was like, you're such an asshole, like that sort of thing. And very early on, I let her know. I said, name calling is something that I'm absolutely unequivocally not okay with because there's nothing to be accomplished from it. It doesn't actually contribute at all. And when we're in an argument, our actual goal is resolution, not to just hurt each other and piss each other off. And so the moment that you start calling names, you are no longer working towards a resolution. And so I'm an absolute, absolute, absolute no to that. And if, if you call me a name in our argument, I'm walking out. It's done. Like, I'm not going to contribute to you. That's the consequence. And here's something that I say a lot, which is hard for people sometimes, but if there's no consequence, there's no boundary. If you mm. are not willing to hold a consequence when someone crosses that line, there's absolutely actually no boundary. You're, you think, oh, mm. I held my boundaries. No, no, no. You have a preference. You would prefer someone not do this, but if there's no consequence, and by the way, the consequence might just simply be, hey, this is me warning you that that's not okay. That might be mm -hmm. the first consequence. And then the second, there's, you know, there's like a, a, a tier to this. However, if it just happens and you just accept it, and then it happens again and you just accept it and it happens again, there's no boundary. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the, the journey of self-worth, which is where this question started. And we accept the love we think we deserve. You can, you can see in your relationship where your level of self-worth is. You're able to tell where, how much 
you value yourself based on the boundaries that you actually hold, not what you think you hold, but the boundaries you actually hold. But most people are so afraid of the consequences of like what happens if they hold that boundary primarily that the relationship will end and they'll be alone. They're Mm. so afraid of that that they are willing to compromise on what they think is their boundary, which is a compromise of the level of self-worth that they want to have, but aren't actually holding. And then they find themselves in a relationship that is not honoring the level of self-worth that they truly want to have, which creates this shame spiral of feeling like they're consistently dishonoring themselves and their own integrity, which makes the entire thing worse, which then makes them react from a place of resentment because deep down they're resenting themselves and they're blaming it on the other person. And it's just a whole spiral that I could go into over and over. Uh. However, it is something to to speak to. And I hope I answered your question because I feel a bit like I'm just like, I have so much energy, bro. I haven't stopped all day. So I'm just like going. <laughs> no, I love it. That was a, a brilliant way to articulate what I asked was we accept the love we think we deserve. And one point I want to touch on that, and I'll, I'll give myself as a personal example, is I've been recently on a kick. And this is another reason I was excited to chat with you. I've been in a reflection mode of my story around dating and relationships. Uh, I'm 24. I've never been in a long-term relationship. So and after a few months, out. And it wasn't until like somewhat recently where with some talking with some close friends who've known me for a while where I've kind of started realizing, oh, like the type of women I attract and like just really just viewing like how I, you know, it's my life and my relationships to me are normal because I don't know anything else. You said something in the video talking about we accept what we, the love that we think we deserve, where you said the first part is just to accept it. And I noticed as of like, Recently, I was going on a ton of dates uh, with different women earlier in the year, and it was coming. Yeah, like there's multiple sides of me, right? But there was a part of me that was like scared to be alone. For some reason in the video, you say something about first just accepting the part of you that doesn't feel worthy. And right when you said that, dude, my whole body just went, oh, because I think there's like a part of me that's like trying like, oh, I have to be this whatever. And right when you said just accept that I went, ah, oh. so I, I kind of wanted to you to just talk about in that situation, once you kind of like, what's the value in a, the acceptance, but B like, what do we do from there? What's like the shift from that point of acceptance? It's a great, great question. And I wish I remembered what video you're even talking about. Cause it sounds like it's a good one. Uh, was it on you YouTube? Posted it super recent. It was, it was Facebook. You-, you posted it very recently. I mean, you might have cross posted it uh, and I'll link that here in the show notes for everyone to watch it. It's, it's brilliant. But I, I think essentially, I, it might, was, it, like was it a live? What is it a Facebook live? I mean, I didn't watch it live. So it, it, I think it was live because yeah, you I kept it was asking Facebook. people to comment. I think yeah. it was a Facebook live. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, the question is around, so accepting the love so the starting so I can help you frame yeah. it is basically what I found profound about the way you explained it was my full body just relaxing. And I felt like this was counterintuitive to a lot of the things that I read about in this space is like, look dead on at the fact I don't think I deserve X or like, I don't think I'm scared to be alone. Just be like, okay, we're going to just sit with that instead of trying to 
kind of bypass it or I don't know what I was trying to do, but I kind of realized like, oh, there's a part of me that is, I am filling my schedule with dates because I don't want to be with myself. Yeah. So, and when where, I accepted that, I felt peace. It's, it's a really great awareness. And, and I'm glad that it, you, it, I'm loving hearing that you actually take things in and let them land. And at 24, that's amazing. Cause at 24 years old for myself, I thought I had all my shit figured out. <laughs> and <laughs> I got uh, a lot to figure out. Don't you worry. Yeah, and I, I just like thought I knew, you know, and I had to be humbled and it, and it took me till I was like 28 before I really humbled myself to go. I just don't think I, I have life figured out the way I thought I did. And uh, what I would say is that what it, there's another very common saying, which is what we resist persists. And the thing is that our resistance to what is holds it in place. Imagine like you're trying to get a, pick a weed, right? Unless you get the root, it's going to keep growing back. And so when we resist something that we don't like about ourselves or an aspect of our reality, when we're doing that, we are not actually allowing ourselves to do the thing that's necessary to get the root, which is to integrate it all into wholeness. And that root is that there is a part of our unconscious mind that wants it there. That's the thing. That's what we were talking about from the beginning. Like there's a part of us that wants that limiting belief. There's a part of us that has been served by it. There's a part of us that is attached to that fear. There's a reason why it's in us. And if we accept it first and foremost, what we do is we bring the light of our conscious awareness onto it, which allows us to bring all of it into the space. And once it's there, now we can deal with all of it as opposed to, oh, I don't, I hate this part about me or whatever. And like try and do some work where we just keep scraping at it. And um, that, that permission slip is when we zoom out on a more macro meta level, what are we talking about? We're, we're talking about a deeper level of self-love because we think that we'll love ourselves more by getting rid of the belief and yet the act of self-love that's so much deeper is loving ourselves in entirety of that belief, choosing to love mm -hmm. ourselves even with that belief. And from that space, we've just expanded because love expands us. So within that space, we've now opened ourselves up to a deeper like cavern of, of availability. And from that space, we can, we can, reach in there and, and take out what we don't want and put in more stuff. There's, there's more, that's what it means. We've expanded ourselves. Mm. Yeah. I love that. And using you as an example, I mean, you shifted from being with a partner for a decade to living and being on your own. And I know you've spoken about this. Um, like what have you learned about yourself through being single? <laughs> I mean, I know that's like a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I think no, it's and a maybe great you question. can take it like a, uh, of lately, you know. Yeah, no, it's a great question because, but it's funny because I was in a relationship for ten years. Um, I went after that relationship. I found myself in another relationship uh, two months later for a year, and then mm. I got out of that relationship and I was healing 
both of those relationships afterwards. So I, I don't, there's a difference between being, um, not being in relationship and being single. Um, I feel like being single is when you're willing to let your heart be seen again, when you kind of come out mm. of like the, like licking the wounds of a past relationship or being still hung up on a past relationship. That's when you're really like single. That's the way I think about it. And so COVID hit when I was actually single. And so there was no dating and there's no, none of that. And so then I got into a, another five month relationship container. So anyway, for the last 13 years, I've been in nonstop relationship. And so I've only been single for three weeks. Like oh, this we, is like literally in the last three weeks. Well, because we broke up in December, but I took, uh -huh. I took um, basically two months to just go deep into process. I think I shared with you before we went live, I went into a cabin in the woods by myself. Most days I didn't see another human being. I did plant medicine work. I did meditation. I did journaling. I did so much. And I just allowed myself to feel all of it as deeply as I could every single day. I spent hours of every single day feeling and processing. That's what I focused on. And wow. so I moved through that breakup more gracefully and quickly than, than previous ones. And I only left that cabin basically in that whole chapter three weeks ago. And so being single, I feel like is, is three weeks young. And I've been on several dates during that time. And what I'm learning, oh man, I, what's funny is, so I have a podcast called The Deep Dive with Adam Roa, and it's available everywhere that probably where you're listening to this right now. It's also on my YouTube. And I'm releasing a lot of content around the masculine and feminine right now because I just released an episode. I don't know, I don't know if you listen to my podcast, but the episode I just released uh, is called uh, Why Men Will Never Be Enough for Women. I and saw that. I listened to your one with Kat, which was recently Dr. Kat Meyer, I think. But, I, but keep going. Yeah. So why men will never be enough for women. So that is an example. I, I'm sharing a lot of my deeper insights into this uh, on my, my own platforms that take up way more time than we have right here. And what I will say is the biggest thing that I've learned is the ref is I want to make this general to apply for everyone, which is the reflection of who I am now. I think that I think that in personal development, so much is talked about around who we are and how we don't need anyone else. And like, it's all about self-love and all this stuff. And that's all true. And a huge piece of how we get to know who we are and, and how we are received and our own fears, insecurities, our, the, our strengths, our, our weaknesses, all of it is through reflection of other human beings. And so the last time I was really going on dates truly was when I was 22, 23 years old and now I'm 36. <laughs> and so I'm going on these dates and the last reference point I had was I'm an insecure boy that needed to prove all these things. And now I feel like an empowered man who is, is like, knows why he's here, knows what he has to do, knows what he brings to the table, doesn't have anything to prove to these women. And therefore I'm not trying to sleep with these women. It's not a conquest thing. It's just like me being myself and, and feeling truly like I can just exist and be and show up fully in those, in that experience, I'm getting a chance to see who I am 
in those relations and get to see how I'm received, getting to see the impact that I make on other human beings, getting to see how they respond to me, getting to see what's fun, what's not fun. We, there are things that you can only learn about yourself in relationship. And there are things you can only learn about yourself when you are single. And 13 years in relationship, I feel like I got a good handle of who I am in relationship. And three weeks of being single, I'm learning something new every day. I'm learning <laughs> something new every single day in every text message that I send, in every communication on a dating app, in, in the women that reach out to me on Instagram. That's a whole other chapter that so many people don't have to deal with. Like literally I get messages from women on Instagram that's an interesting thing to receive as a man to, to feel pursued uh, in that way. I'd never had that before. And, and so mm -hmm. I'm learning something new every day, bro. It's I'm having a great time in terms of yeah. just, <laughs> I, I love it. I I'm, I'm, I'm doing it in a good way. I, I, I can say that it's not about even this like sexual thing. It's not a conquest thing. Uh, and it's just fun. I feel like, I'm looking at dating as when I go out on a date, I want to see if I can figure out what's the most interesting thing about that person. Mm. So when yeah, I can, you're coming from a different place. Yeah. Like it's just a game of what's the most interesting thing I can learn about this person on this date. So that when I'm, when I think back on the date and may, we may never go out again, I can look back and be like, wow, that person grew up in a cult. Like, that person grew up in a cult. I had, I met someone that was their experience. Grew up in a large family in a cult in like the seventies. And I went, what? And I had to ask questions. And that's just a fascinating thing that I get to keep in my Rolodex of just cool things that I learned about someone and got to meet and ask about. And so that's, that's, I love humans. So I'm, yeah. I'm taking that approach. Yeah. And what I appreciate about how you choose to operate your social media is it's like, you're just sharing what you're learning in real time. And you're not, you're not like editing. You're just like, here's what I'm learning. And it's very <laughs> raw. And I think because I'm in like a shared, I'm in a space where I'm examining my own relationships and story and, and dating. It's really cool. And I get a lot of value from seeing what you share because it kind of evokes things that I'm either aware of or not aware of. So uh, anyone who's interested, especially in relationships, I think you're, what you put out is very unique. It's very it's just Adam. It's there's no one else putting it out the way you do. Well, what's um, interesting, Jake, because I appreciate you saying that. I'll, I'll let you know that my last relationship ended in large part because um, her whole family and everything did not approve of me or my social media. They did not. They wow. did not appreciate how open I was. They felt it was inappropriate. Mm. They felt that. Um, it was bad for her brand because she was a up and coming celebrity. And um, so I went through a really deep process of um, questioning myself. I, I left that breakup feeling really low and small and really unseen because here I am, you know, sharing the way that I do is not easy. <laughs> That's why most people don't do it. I share that like, all of the work I've done, all the personal development, the coaches I've hired, the plant medicine ceremonies, the morning meditations every day, all of it is to build myself into the person who feels strong enough to share that vulnerably and not feel like I can be torn down by other people and be like, I'm going to continue to share this openly because I'm strong enough to do it. I've had to work to be that person. And so it was a really 
deep, deep wound and blow. It, was, it cut deep to have that be <sighs> a part of the reason why uh, that relationship ended and why I was like not approved of and and all of the things. And so I really appreciate what you're saying. And I am committed to, it's, there's, I don't know that anyone has any of the answers. I think that the most important thing is how we look at the problems. It's not about figuring out the answer. It's the way in which we examine the issues. And so a lot of what I share, I share because I want people to understand how I'm looking at the issues as opposed to me sharing from a place of, let me give you the answers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as someone, I, I also consider myself like a 13 out of 10 on, on the openness scale. Uh, although you might've take that to, uh, to the nth degree, but it, it really does. And, and I see what you're saying. Like I used to share stuff way more and granted, I, I published a book a few years ago and was like trying, like it was part, I just would share all the time. Um, and I've noticed I've kind of stopped and I'm like, even examining that. But when I see you and what you're posting, it kind of, it gets those kind of creative juices flowing. And even you just saying what you just shared about um, your ex-partner's family and how that, I'm like, what, what influences in my life have maybe affected my own uh, desire to share that I'm holding down? Because like I shared earlier, I share because I need to, it's part of my being. Um, so thank you for that. And one thing yeah. I did want to ask you again, which we, we touched on before is um, going back to this concept of music. Um, so it was October of 2019. My life got flipped on its head to put it lightly with um, they say chronic Lyme disease. I don't really agree with that. I think it's misunderstood, but one of the things that I really gravitated toward in the last year and a half and have and continue to feel drawn towards is music. Um, I've gotten really into guitar um, and just sound, like how powerful sound is. And I was curious for you, what, because there definitely seems from my perspective to be a shift for you of like music has become a big part of your life. And so I was wondering what, what transpired that? Yeah, so really great question. The, uh, I, after the breakup of 10 years, we were together 10 years, the breakup happened really suddenly. The next day I was in meditation crying, going, what am I doing? What is happening here? What's going on? And I had a voice in my head that said, film everything, film everything. And literally I hired two cameramen and we began filming the entire process. The, the, the agreement I had with the guys was the more uncomfortable, the more awkward, the more painful the situation seems to be, put a camera on it. Because for me, it was about, I'm not going to hide any aspect. I can't give myself a permission slip to say, I don't want you to see this. Um, because I, the goal was to show people what it looks like to do your best to navigate the most painful experience of my entire life to try and choose love in every moment. That's why the show is called The Art of Choosing Love. Because art, love is not empirical. You know, what you think is the loving choice may not be what I think is the loving choice. That doesn't make either of us right. It makes each of, it makes us just our own experience of what the loving choice is. And, and so, you know, that's my YouTube show for anyone who wants to go watch it. There's like 30 episodes and we filmed that for a year. And while we were on the road, my buddy Ryan, who came with me and he was like my creative director and, and lead cameraman, he um, brought a travel guitar. And I had played the guitar when I was in college, but I'd always played it from a space of trying to learn songs. And hmm. um, 
so I was always comparing whether or not I was playing it as well as the song. And I'm, it's, it was never as good as the song. And so I just, it was never, it, I, it'd become just another thing that I was either doing well or not. And then when we started traveling again, we would have these late nights and I would just, you know, pick up the guitar and I would just play. Cause I didn't remember any songs, but I at least remembered some basic chords. And so I would just play and I loved it. I loved to just play. And even to this day, I probably know like six songs on the guitar, but I can play the guitar pretty well, <laughs> pretty well at this stage because I just get, I just get on and play. And I think that, you know, what I realized and so that that activated this music in me and we would freestyle and we just like play around. And then I had this moment where we were I was facilitating a poetry workshop at a, at a music conscious music festival in Thailand. And I did this this workshop at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. There's probably 30 people in it. And. So the people came up afterwards and just went, man, that was the most, that was my highlight of my festival. I feel so good, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I left there and I'm feeling all good. It changed people's lives. And then I look over and it's 4 p.m., 4.30. And this dance stage over here has 300 people. And I'm going, how do I bring what I just did for 30 people and get 300 people to show up for it and, and do that? And I realized it has to be music. It has to be music. Music transcends. Like you don't even have to speak the language. You don't have to like, and, and what it also does is it gets us into our body. It's the somatics. And so I started thinking, how can I put my gift of lyricism, you know, through poetry and writing mixed with the things that I'm learning in consciousness and put them in a wrapper of dope melodies and dope beats so that people want to play it and listen to it in the car and like whatever. And so that began the journey of saying, I need to put this into music. I need to make music. And I was blessed to be dating a woman at the time who was, had been a aspiring, you know, singer, songwriter, pop, pops, uh, aspiring pop singer for her whole life. And she taught me song structure and she encouraged me to use my voice. And, um, that permission slip and that support opened up this whole world and this whole realm where now I'm actually releasing music. I know how to produce a song from start to finish on my own on Ableton. And I don't do it anymore. I work with producers, but I, I, I've learned that process so that I can be good at it. And I'm really proud of the music. And I'm excited because we're going to be releasing new music in the second half of this year. Um, it's just been on pause while I focused on building my online community. And, and um, that's been my main focus over the last year or so. Yeah, that's beautiful. And one of the things that my, I had a question that like a broad question as we entered this interview, which you've totally answered. And it goes back to the question I initially had about frequency of, or like that kind of example of about, you know, if you're at a 93, but you want to get to a 107, because it's like you have this ability in whether it's the coaching or the music or the poetry where, you know, in order to, to get to the next level, like everyone wants to have the producer, everyone wants you know, fucking goal cast to broadcast their poetry. But like you're doing this, no one's seeing all the behind the scenes that you're doing. And then you're doing that, doing that, doing it. Cause you know, you need to do all this in order to get where you are. And just kind of hearing you share this from the different aspects of your life that you shared thus far, 
is like kind of giving me that kick that just like the reminder of like, oh yeah, like that's the work that no one is seeing. So I appreciate you sharing that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the acknowledgement, bro. I, I just had a meeting. Um, so like to give people an idea of like my day today, I had a breakfast meeting. I left that breakfast meeting. So I had my morning routine, which is, you know, meditation, stretching, hydration, listening to an audio book, like journaling, just a full morning routine. Then went to a, a breakfast meeting. That was about an hour and a half. D- drove directly from that to a brunch lunch meeting. That was an hour and a half. Drove home, had a 30 minute phone call on the drive home, got home, got on a two hour phone call zoom about a potential, uh, influencer agency that I might get involved in starting. Um, and then, then after that two hour phone call, I had a one hour phone call with the the team that helps me run my online community create. And then now I'm on this for an hour. Like that's my day. And that's not every day. I'm not trying to say that like, Oh, this is every day. However, I've had, a lot of those. And then on the days that I might have more space, there's writing poetry, there's designing my next poetry show, there's working on the book that I wanna write. What people don't see is how much goes into being someone who's doing all of the different things, right? Like, you, it's not luck. It's not luck. And and I'm saying that not to pat myself on the back. You know what? I'm going to pat myself on the back. Like there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to celebrate myself for the work ethic, the drive, the ambition, and the the joy that I'm having in, in what I'm creating. And what I really want to get across to people is you don't have to do eight things like I'm doing, but if you're going to choose to do anything, do it in excellence. If you're going to choose to do a single thing, do it in excellence. There's absolutely no reason for you to not do it in excellence because why the hell else are you doing it? Why are you choosing to spend any of your time doing anything that's not worth doing in excellence? If you're literally spending part of your life force energy that you never get back doing something that you feel could be done half-ass, it's not worth doing. Find things that actually inspire you to want to do them at the highest level you possibly can. And that's the place that I think more people get to explore because what that does is it brings you down the path of the things that light you up. One of the things that shifted for me very recently is I no longer really have excitement about coaching people, excuse me, coaching people in the way that I used to. Where it's like, let me get, like dive into the deep limiting beliefs and wounds and all of those things. That's what I used to do because that's what I was doing with myself. Now, the thing that I do, that the way that I coach now is generally these high-performing individuals, seven, eight-figure earners who are, are going, I know how to make money. I know how to be successful, but I don't know how to be creative, artistic, and self-expressed. And they look at me and go, I don't know, like, you're just like a creative machine. Like, how do you do that? How do you express in that way? How do you, whatever, you just decide you're going to make music. And in, and in a year you're releasing music. I have friends who've been musicians their whole life who have never released music. You, you, you decide you're going to make a reality show and you just make a reality show and you, you do it on your own. The reason for that. And so anyway, the point is like, now my coaching is in how do I bring that to people? who want to activate that part of themselves because, and here's where it ties into all of this, is that when you can tap into the part of you that just wants to create and express, 
you're tapping into an innocence and a purity of joy for life that will translate into the other areas of your life that when you have that, make you want to do it in excellence, make you want to do, do it to the best of your ability because you actually are enjoying it. That's the piece that I think is missing for so many people because they get wrapped up in the idea of doing something to achieve something. And when that's the only reason you're doing it, I'm doing this to make money. That's the only reason I'm doing it. I'm sorry, you're generally not going to do it in excellence or you're going to do it in excellence until you start making money and then it's going to slide back. The piece about expression, creativity, joy, love for life, that's the piece for me that makes me want to do everything in excellence so much. That was an epic monologue. <laughs> um, wow. I want to be conscious of time, Adam. Uh, I, although there's probably a million different questions and things we could take this. Um, where can people find you and connect with you online? Yeah, thank you, bro. I appreciate it. And and I don't know. I, I feel like I was on one. I I don't know how I have this much energy right now. <laughs> well, um, I do because of what you just shared. But uh, continue. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. I, I love this. I could talk about this for so long and, and I appreciate you giving, giving me the space to do it. And, and for your audience, for listening to this, I hope it's been valuable. Um, yeah, my name is Adam Roa and, and you can go to adamroa.com. Um, that's kind of a hub. I have all of the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, Twitter, all of them. And um, the places that I go the deepest are one, uh, it, which is my podcast, The Deep Dive with Adam Roa. And then two, in my online community where I actually teach on concepts like intuition, relationships, love, manifestation for 90 minutes to two hours twice a month. And there's a bunch of other facilitators in there also teaching twice a month. And so um, that's thecreatecommunity.com. Mm. A lot of people here have, have already seen you and they might actually have unconsciously seen or heard your stuff, especially your poem, which as you shared, was some of the most beautiful of all time. Adam, thank you for all this. The biggest thing that I've taken away from this is permission, um, which I know is the name of one of your albums, I believe. But like for real, I feel like you, to me at least, you are the embodiment of permission. And so anyone who's, at least I'm projecting, but the way I, when I consume your content, it gives me permission to do and be the things that I want to, but I might be like not even aware of holding. So thank you for the time. Thank you for the energy, bro. That's a beautiful compliment. Thank you for leaving me with that, brother. And I appreciate the work that you're doing. At 24, what I'll say, bro, is you have such, man, like where you're at right now, I, I can't even believe it. I'm really excited to see the, the impact you're gonna continue to make on this planet. Appreciate it, Adam. Boom. I hope you guys enjoy that episode with Adam as much as I did. Having that conversation with him, I really recommend checking out his videos, his podcast. He is truly one of the raw, authentic, and just true people. Um, and it's really cool to watch his journey in real time. So it's all linked here in the show notes. And again, if you have been enjoying the show, you're finding it valuable. It would mean so much to me if you took 30 seconds to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're tuning into the show. Again, thank you for tuning in and much love.